0: hi friends welcome to bar of the conference i'm your host derek scott the third we're in the middle of a two-part episode the long journey towards inclusion with randall miller Now, if you haven't had a chance, I invite you to go and listen to part one, where Randall unpacks for us some of the history around LGBTQ advocacy in the United Methodist Church. It was a great episode. In this part two, we're going to hear Randall talk about the one church plan, and he's going to take us into the protocol room. If you recall, Randall was on the team that put together the proposal known as the Protocol for Reconciliation and Grace Through Separation. I get so grateful for Randall's willingness to share so much. You'll find that he speaks for himself, but in doing that, he is not afraid to show us the complexity that has come with fighting for inclusion in our denomination. There have never been easy answers, and there's always been a need to stay in the conversation, even when it's been really hard. And so I continue to be grateful for Randall's courage, his resilience, and I do believe that he is going to see the fruit of his faithfulness over so many years. So as I always tell you, grab that notebook, a choice beverage, and uh, if you haven't listened to part one, go do that, and then let's listen together to part two, of the long journey towards inclusion, with Randall Miller. So, so Randall, yeah, I was on the floor of General Conference both in sixteen and and then in, in nineteen. Um, And we had these plans that um, were put in front of us for General Conference 2019. And I'm just curious, I I think we have, I can make some assumptions about how you felt about the traditional plan, Mm -hmm. Um, but the other two, and I think even the simple plan needs to be added in this conversation as well. What what was your sense of of those, of these different approaches to try to get us um, to break that stalemate, and I think uh, the, the, I guess the majority of us were pushing for the one church plan. I don't, I don't know, I don't know if that's true anymore. <laughs> um, mm. So I just, I'd love for you to just kind of give us your thought, you know, both when we were there um, in 2019 and now looking back on what's happened since. On the- yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, the I think. Very, uh, so just to remember the context and circumstances. So the one church plan originated uh, because uh, Adam Hamilton and Tom Berlin and others, uh, and there's a long story behind how it came to be that we don't have time to rehearse, but just no controversy abounds Almost under every and dissension abounds beyond every kind of major thing but mm-hmm. um but adam hamilton and tom berlin uh got up on the floor of the general conference and at the two six, 2016 general conference am i right yeah mm-hmm.
0: and um
1: uh really said you know that it, we need to find a way forward and we need to um, think through what we're doing, and because what we're doing, you know, battling it out at every general conference is not working, and so we want to create this commission to take a look at these uh, these um, to take a look at the options for our future, and <clears throat> come back and share, um, you know, and bring something back to the general conference that we can kind of look at and do. And so, um, so that was the start. And so, um, we were not—we uh, collectively, the progressive movement, the reconciling movement, LGBTQ people were not invited to submit our names for, for the uh, for the commission. Um, I think they they asked bishops who um, they wanted to put on the commission, including the LGBTQ folks. Uh, and um we didn't you know we didn't vote on who would represent us there. And so um in my mind, we came back with uh imperfect product that was the one church plan yeah. that uh rested on a slim hope that I was deeply skeptical of, and the slim hope was that people in the central conferences <clears throat> would go along, uh, as well as conservatives, would go along with this because a commission of the church said that this was the right way to go and um, that it contained compromises uh, on all parts, on all sides, um, that uh, you know, that nobody got everything that they wanted, but it was a compromise. Where um, that you know we could live with, and it, that it it posed a solution for our present difficulties, so I'm not sure that I bought any of those arguments, even though I knew the people um, serving on the commission, uh, the one church plan and uh, the one church commission or whatever it was called, commission mm. of one church. Anyway, so um, but what I what I saw. Was that there was a really, really strong possibility that uh, the conservative coalition could unite uh, enough general conference delegates around the traditionalist plan that it would um, that it would pass, and for the first time, remember I talked about trying kind to of being in this detente, you know, where
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the first time. We would move significantly more to the right, Mm -hmm. uh, and to a place that I thought was just intolerable. Like it was so close to, or it was, a vision of the church that I could not belong to, if if the traditionalist plan passed, because Mm -hmm. you know it's already intolerable in a way to be living in the context of the rules that we had on the books before the traditions plan and just reading it, I thought, my God, for this is a bold move on their part to move us to the right and uh, not just incrementally, but significantly to move us as a denomination. And so, um, and on the other hand, the simple plan was um, uh, the utopia plan. That's the plan like, if I, you know, in a perfect world, I would support the simple plan and because mm-hmm. uh, it accomplished everything that I wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, could, you know, I could have wanted some more flowery language around, you know, uh, marriage and stuff like that. But, but, uh, but I also knew uh, from many, many, many uh, uh, days of vote counting at general conference that there would never be a time when we had the votes to pass the simple plan. So, and and that was very clear to me, just as clear to me as the traditionalist thing, how evil the traditionalist plan was. And the challenge that we have around that is really uh, that we are a church on several continents and that the uh, folks from the African continent are genuinely more culturally and religious conservative than we are. Uh, It doesn't mean that there isn't a LGBTQ movement happening on the African continent and many African countries. There is, and it's getting bigger and bigger. They have a much tougher road to go than we had in the U.S. in terms of the the heinous number of um, anti-LGBTQ plus laws in the african continent and where most uh state na- nation state governments are in terms of all of that so um and uh we have had um general conference after general conference for 20 years where people have said to me um you know this time Uh, there will be enough African delegates to vote for this, that it will change. And it it never has, and not in 20 years. Uh, And um, so, uh, and that, you know, as progressive folk, we have to struggle with what that means that people that we are in fellowship with us are not naturally inclined (laughs) to vote with us on LGBTQ plus issues. And I have traveled pretty extensively in Africa. I, I, I know that the WCA and the IRD are manipulators, but I also know there really is a genuine cultural and religious conservatism there that is akin to where the U.S. was in the 1950s around these issues. So I'm not, we're no better, we're just further down the road. So, um, and so what do you do? And so um, the, uh, and I'm a pragmatist. So I, I wish I was one of those folks who, you know, rushed up a hill just because you know, to just because it was the right thing to do. I have rushed up the, that hill so many times over the last mm. 35 years that my old bones are creaking now. <laughs> and I've got to like, what's going to happen when I get up that hill?
0: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I don't, I I would never say that the one church plan was a good thing. I It was compromised legislation that was given to us. <laughs> Mm -hmm. i personally had no input into it and i had uh a lot of critiques of what it said and of the trade-offs and uh i did not believe what some commission members were telling me that they had gotten significant commitments from folks in africa and other places that they would support that Mm -hmm. um and at the same time on the other hand uh the um, good news people who had been at the table were openly saying they weren't going to support it and they were going to develop, you know, con- so it's just like, but this is all we have because nobody, <laughs> there's not time. Uh, we can't build a coalition quick enough to sort of counteract this, you know, counteract the fact that it looks like an official church mm-hmm. uh, thing. And so, um yeah. So all of that, it was a very flawed vehicle, but the only one that I could see that would stop the traditionalist plan from coming into being.
0: And mm-hmm. so that's
1: why, um, uh, and it's a tough sell to sell a pig and a poke to your folks who are aiming <laughs> for liberation uh, because it's to prevent something else. And so that caused all sorts of difficulties um, and, um, Yeah, so that so that's Uh, my take on where we were, and so the fact that we, uh, a bunch of us, poured our lives and souls into fighting for the one uh, church plan, even though it was we uh, a bunch of us at least considered to be deeply flawed, uh, was very very challenging, and it uh, I would say that uh, those of us who did that organizing came away pretty wounded from the experience. Mm-hmm. Wounded in a way, you know, we've been we've been wounded in the past, but wounded deeper than we had been from other kinds of uh, things. And we came away more realistic, more angry. Um, uh, some folks who worked on that, you know, and some of them who'd only done it, that was their only thing they'd done at General Conference. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Completely burned out. And not coming back and not wanting to give leadership to anything else because, you know, that it was a pretty minimalist vision of a church future. And even that minimalist vision did not pass. So yeah. that all that not passing and then passing the traditionalist plan did all sorts of harms that um, the uh, conservatives on their own. Had not managed to do to us um, right. in terms of recouping. So, um, yeah. So that was my take on the one church plan. I, you know, I, what can I say? I deeply flawed, but it was what we had.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate that reflection, Randall. And I and I think so much happened on the floor of 2019 that um, that really. I asked Ian Uriola this question uh, in a in the last episode was 2019 holy conferencing, mm-hmm. and and um my answer is that no it wasn't there mm-hmm. were decisions that were made yeah but I cannot say that it was holy conferencing and I'm sure there's somebody listening who's like actually Derek I'm like that's cool that's cool you can have yeah. your opinion there yeah. but I, I I do wonder. I wonder, I, I actually I think I don't wonder. I think and I believe that we will be unpacking what happened at 2019 for years to come.
1: Yeah.
0: Um so let me let me move us along because my my degree is in history yeah. and I would sit here in all of these conversations uh for a while. But I want to move us along because something interesting happened then uh at the end of 2019 as the Annual conferences in the United States are responding to the passing of the traditional plan. That was its that was its own thing, and at least in Florida, that was there was a, 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 a an effort to make sure that those who went, who were delegated to do the work of General Conference at, at twenty twenty, were people who were not interested in affirming the traditional plan and possibly even overturning it. Um, and I I I'd, I'd love to know to the degree that you can share what do you think led to the formation of this group that would put together what we now affectionately call the protocol um what, what 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 happened and 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 grateful that you were in that space um but what happened to get us there to to that conversation
1: yeah I, it really was um happenstantial is the word i've used so um bishop uh so bishop yambasu bishop john yambasu uh who passed away shortly after who well, was killed in an accident shortly after the protocol was released really did have this um vision of needing to do something to respond to the damage and harm that the um that the uh, 2019 General Conference had done. And um, I think depending on your perspective, we all saw different reasons, you know, saw had different perspectives on that harm. So I, when I was talking about the harm that it had done, I was pretty clear about the harm that it caused to LGBTQ+ people lgbtq plus people and i you know i knew also that it had damaged the church's reputation but i am i'm not here to rehabilitate the church's reputation especially when the church is doing evil so yeah yeah i can make you feel better about you know church leaders standing up and saying perfectly horrendous things on tv and in the press and then you know people are rightly disgusted by it. And so that's not my job, do the right thing and you won't need to have, (laughs) you won't need to have to like fix your reputation. But some people around the the mediation table um, were really disturbed by the damage that was being done to the United Methodist Church's reputation and witness. And that was their, you know, that was their primary thing. Uh, And the conservatives were also were um had their own take on the harm that it was done that was not my take but they had a sense that harm had been done and that the united methodist church had been damaged now we found out you know quickly into the early discussions that led to the mediation team that you know they had a proposal for them to exit in their pockets and ready to go so their lesson from um, the uh, from the 20, 000, 2019 special session of the General Conference seemed to be uh, it resolved the longstanding debate within among conservative activists, shall we go or shall we stay? And it kind of showed the reaction after the traditionalist plan illustrated I think for some that they could never control the United Methodist Church, and as I said before, that magnificent edifice of creating more and more rules is no longer effective if nobody is going to acknowledge the legitimacy of those policies. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so Bishop Yambasu had this vision, <laughs> and uh, I think he uh, and talked with it and the central. Uh, uh, conferences, College of Bishops had conversation about it too, about what to do about this problem and how terrible the uh, the, the special session was. Um, and Bishop Yambasu, I think, in talking with Tom Berlin, this is what I've surmised, um, pulled together an initial group just to come together informally to talk about what had what the special session had done and how to best address the harm that was done to the United Methodist Church and how to find a way forward that was obviously not the one church plan anymore. Very informal. And I (laughs) I I really do believe this, though I haven't talked to Tom. There had been a kind of an email thread among those who were supporting the One Church plan, we call it the One Church Committee or whatever, where let us just say um, some tense words were exchanged about um, the need for trust and for LGBT people in these kind of uh, post-traditionalist, post-general conference (laughs) Discussions that were happening for LGBT po- people to represent themselves and not be represented by moderates who had, you know, a closer relationship to some of the conservatives. So mm-hmm. it, it, it was pretty heated. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I confess to being directly involved in producing some of that heat. And so I have to believe that when a few days later <laughs> Bishop <laughs> Yambasu asked, I think Tom Berlin who should be on this group that he was pulling together? <laughs> Tom Berlin, having been in the conversation said, oh, here are some people <laughs> you better, you better
0: yeah, put yeah
1: people on. so it was first Jan and I for the LGbtq plus community and then we kind of said we need a third and we um we and we were suggesting we didn't have any control over it. It as another thing where. Bishop Yambasu was in for. it, So he, of the five other names that we suggested to Bishop Yambasu, he then invited David Meredith to join. And so at first, and it was, you know, three people from you know the good news. Actually, it was more than that. It was five people from the progressive LGBTQ plus side, uh, five people from the you know, the good news WCAIRD coalition uh, and then five like bishops I think was the initial group. And uh, we got together. And so it really was that whimsical, like Bishop Yambasu pulled us together. We each had to pay our own way to come to the meeting. And just like a two and a half day meeting, we had to pay for our own hotels. And I was like, I don't know about the rest of you, but I don't work for the church and I do not have a travel budget budget in my because I'm not paid by a local church, uh, nor am I a bishop. But um, and so we came together at Bishop Yambasu's invitation. It we were clearly stuck at that meeting. So in the, you know, the two days or whatever it was, we didn't make very much progress. And um we um uh, and by then, the uh, conservatives were floating all of these kind of proposals around, you know, uh, perhaps leaving the church or getting their share of church resources and da 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 So we knew that was in the background. And so when we got there, really, we were, we were stuck for a long time. And really, though, the one thing that we agreed on... You know, not too far into the first meeting was that uh, schism was in, imminent, that we, um, that there was nothing that we could do to like yeah, stop the schism, that we had irreconcilable differences, and nothing, maybe even Jesus coming back again, would be able to patch through those differences. Yeah. And, Space and I, I really appreciated that kind of honesty from all sides and that recognition that really, after the special session in 2019, we were done, you know, and there was not going to be. Um, this is not what Bishop Yambasu wanted, it was no part of his vision for what would happen. He didn't, from what I could tell, he had not even considered that. As a possible outcome of this informal meeting. Uh, And so, uh, and, you know, uh, because he came from, you know, uh, Africa and thus they don't have the same or didn't have the same difficulties that we have in the US. So it did not occur to him that that would be, it did not seem to occur to him that that would be what we came out with, but that's where, you know, the, you know, the, the large majority was and so out of that meeting we created piecemeal because there's no plan we created you know we designated a smaller group of people to come together to talk about you know what that meant and to do some mediation and you know build on this recognition that we could not live together anymore and um uh and then it, you know, we invited some more bishops into the conversation, and that was helpful because they helped us get organized. Uh, and early on, Bishop Bickerton said to us, "We need a mediator. You know, we're not going to be able to do this on our own." And so we—that's when we fa- went out and found the mediator that we did. And so this then became a like a formal thing, except that we had no authority from the church and. The, the executive committee of the council of bishops even sent a message saying, "We just want to remind you, you don't have any authority to do this. Mm-hmm. You're, you're meeting on your own, like any group in the church, but you do not have any official authority." And it's like, okay, we get it. get that. And so then, you know, but it it became quasi official because we had bishops and we had representatives uh, from uh, central conferences. In my mind, not enough. And that was raised in, with you. the central conference bishops that perhaps we should have a few more people at the table and um, I'll let them explain why they didn't feel as strongly as some of us did. Um, and so we met and you know, we, uh, it was hard slogging, I would just say that. And um, we had to build a certain level of trust with one another and not trust to stay at the table and to um, listen to each other's perspectives and opinions, and try and find a reasonable solution forward. And really, you know, I think we had three or three three meetings, maybe four. It mm-hmm. didn't the uh, reasonable quote unquote reasonable solution i.e. the beginnings of the protocol really did not happen till the final meeting so it was and it it was at a point where i think most of the progressives and some of the centrists had agreed that we were probably walking away from the table if this meeting didn't produce anything because we were you know we had heard it all we'd heard the demands we had made demands we had responded, we'd share perspectives, and it didn't seem like we we're making much forward progress. Um, and I remember writing to Bishop Pickerton and saying, I think that I will be stepping away from this table if it, if we don't have something, something tangible. By really? It. So yeah. as it really was, it was not, it was like, uh, to me, it was like crawling through ground glass. <laughs> so, and I think it was worse for me because I had been on the opposite side of the table with these same folks year, you know, quadrennium after quadrennium. And like, yeah, we know each other <laughs> and we don't trust each other. And um, I don't know that we can reach an agreement, but, you know, we, we, uh, we started talking about the possibility of, you know, uh, uh giving money to uh conservatives to support their creation of a new denomination and once we arrived at that figure 25 million the uh it opened the door and we could negotiate other things and um there are some things that i wish you know sometimes you put yourself at the table because you want to make sure that everything is on the up and up and sort of a, doubt, a doubting Thomas thing. Like, I I want to, like, no, no, I want my hands. in.
0: There. Yeah, I want to be in the room where it happens. To, yeah, yeah,
1: and I could have been in the room, but I, I, I wasn't. And so mm. some parts of the protocol were vaguer than I thought what we had committed to. Um, particularly the stuff on regionalization and removal of the language and uh, I if I if we weren't all wiped out by that time when we were writing this thing up I would have really pushed harder to make that language uh, the language around removing the language you know like uh, removing the language from the book of discipline once the The po in the post separate. I would have I would have codified that more, and codified that moving into regionalizations. Now I don't know that we would have gotten the conservatives to agree to that. Um, But I, in retrospect, I wish I hadn't allowed them just to become almost like an afterthought in the protocol. Um, So because that in my mind that wasn't the nature of the agreements that we made that it was that was so far beneath in terms of level of importance that that was like you know it's so far below the other agreements that we made so um but we were tired and it you know we were uh, ready to sort of get this done and we were focusing on it you know the the details of the separation and you know there's a there's a whole bunch of, you know, a lot of legislation behind all of that that just is massive in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, correcting the discipline to allow the separation. So, so and then the question was always to me, so we're going to sign this document. I'm going to sign in optimism and faith that uh, everyone is going to live up to this document and this agreement. And it pretty quickly, uh, because again, you know, 35 years of uh, watching things happen, it appeared to me that almost immediately people on the conservative side were violating the terms of the agreement. And in meetings that they were holding in Africa and elsewhere, um, they were disparaging the United Methodist Church. That was a mild term. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, they were disparaging it to increase fear so that people would join the GMC. So it was like transparent and obvious. Um, uh, And then uh, other things were said and done that kind of led me to believe that, oh, I see, we're not living up to all of the agreements that we made together in that room. So how much of this are we going to put up with uh, before the 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 protocol is fatally undermined. Um, and then I, I think so that, and um, the protocol in my mind was in essence a backroom deal. You know, we weren't hiding it or anything, but it wasn't the full democratic process that, for example, the gen- the, the general Conference promises, for legislation of that significance. You know, Mm -hmm. even though we weren't controlling the general conference, we weren't like democratically elected, nobody but Bishop Yambasu selected us to be on that. You know, we didn't pull the reconciling movement and ask who should be there. We didn't talk to the RMN's board of directors about who should be there. Um, And so that is okay with me in a kind of urgent or emergency situation where something needs to be done and, you know, general conference is really just around the corner, right? Like it was supposed to be May 2020 and we're mm-hmm. having discussions in November of 2019 and December. It's like, okay, that's like, this is like five months. But as the period grew longer, you know, a backroom deal is never meant to hold up that long so it would have been like three and a half years uh before you know we (laughs) it actually came to the general conference that deal was never meant to hold out for three and a half years and the promises we made then you know it's like i don't know that the church has 25 million It, it did in 2000 20, early 2020, before the pandemic, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it's gonna happen in 2024. So I don't know that we can give you 25 million. And certainly we can't give you 25 million and have the United Methodist Church struggling along, unable to support its ministries. Um, uh, and then uh, also have st- having someone calling the rest of us who are remaining in the United Methodist Church everything but a child of God.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, yeah.
1: And then expecting us, because it was common knowledge that to pass it, they needed some significant percentage of centrist and progressive delegates to vote for it. It's like, so you're calling me a child of Satan, and at the same time, you're saying publicly that you need us to support this for you to get it. It's like, to me, that's a very strange strategy yeah. uh, and so the um and it, you know centrist and and progressives i think reached the end of their rope with what was going on and then wow. so it was just sort of like yeah you're doing everything you can uh to get out of the church earlier now that the general conference has been delayed but you still want to, us to maintain support for the protocol so it can be your plan like G. Mm. If all mm. of your other shenanigans don't work out, you still want us to, like, uh, in good faith, vote for the protocol. It doesn't work that
0: way. Right, right, right. It doesn't work that way, so. Well, I we, we could, I mean, there's so many things that happened, between <laughs> January of 2020, when the protocol uh, sort of, at least that's when I began to see uh, the first kind of news about it, and and, and to where we are now, um, but I, I'm gonna fast forward us all the way to sort of where we are yeah. now, Randall. and I and thank you. I mean, gosh, I I I. I I'm going to ask you to come back on the show at some point because I've got 5,000 more questions for you. I um, want to hear your perspective, but you know, we are, you know, we're about a year and a half from general conference 2024, which is actually the postponed 2020 general conference. And um, there could be some changes to who we are as the United Methodist church. What it, what do you see, and and we can do it in two different ways, what do you see coming for us at General Conference 2024? And maybe what do you hope to see, both mm-hmm. at 2024, but beyond that, um, as we're sort of ending this conversation?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, so we're in that shakeup period, and I was telling a friend of mine that it really does feel like that scene in Gandhi, where you know in 24 hours the partition between India and Pakistan is going to go up. And it it's in the in the mo- it's just a mess. You just see people like hastening, you know, with all of their possessions, scurrying to get across the partition line into their safe place um, before the, the deadline hits. And it it, it um, that's perhaps a bit of an exaggeration. But we're in this really messy period of the church um, leading up to the 2024 general conference where it is really hard to see or forecast what will happen. So um, and because uh, in many ways, I just say most of the structures and processes that we have set up over the years have failed us in this moment. They were clearly not designed for a time when the General Conference could not meet, where there was a global pandemic, um, where people are uh, leaving the United Methodist Church by no clean process, but kind of ripping themselves out of the United Methodist Church, um, where we don't have one institutional leader who is like setting the strategy or the tone? Like some of the other denominations, you know, the person who has handled the schism has been their elected um, chief, whatever they yeah. call that. Okay. We don't have that. And the, okay. the president of the Council of Bishops has some of that authority, but not much of it. So mm-hmm. we are just in this kind of unprecedented period. Um, And I will say on the positive side, the either 2000, the impact of 2019 or um, the moment just came, but we've had a generational change in the church, particularly among general conference delegates. So Mm -hmm. that they taught that we had before around issues was because delegates, the numbers of delegates were virtually stable in terms of voting for, voting against. For a long time now, there hasn't been any change. And in uh, following the elections in 2020, following the special session of the General Conference, I refer to it as the United Methodist Spring, because all of a sudden, a bunch of people got elected uh, who are looking for a change. uh, policies. And, you know, uh, there was a long, long time where I would say a good 20 years where I was the only openly gay delegate, queer delegate on the floor of General Conference. And um, now we have an abundance of queer delegates on the floor, which is like, you know, just yesterday, it was one or two at most mm. um, and we didn't caucus together <laughs> so mm. um, so there there really has been this change that has happened that honestly I did not expect to see. Um, mm. I was I was thinking to myself, well my time in activism in the United Methodist Church will have come and gone and we will have you know collectively um, done some important things but that change in sort of removing the policies won't come while I'm sort of actively working to reform the church. So so depending on which way this messy shakeout goes, we could be on the verge of being able to remove um, the uh, harmful language that's in the discipline um, and that could happen through a variety of ways. It could be the general conference that there are votes, enough votes at the general conference um, to do it. It could be that, you know, uh, in, uh, through regionalization, the U.S. regional group, it's been pretty clear that uh, the majority of U.S. delegates for <coughs> some time if left to our own devices, would have removed the uh, language. And th- that's been like for at least 10 or 12 years that if we, if there was a regional conference and delegates had the authority to move, at least in the U.S., we would remove the harmful language. And so, um, so that's another possibility. So um, we are, uh, on the other hand, um, it may be that... Um, With the loss of so, with uh, enough churches in the U.S. portion of the church, we would, the balance of delegates in general conference would have shifted. And there are more people from uh, places in Africa and more conservative places outside the U.S. And that they might, you know, hold the majority of votes at some point time soon. And that. It, it that would mean that we were um, entering into a new phase of really direct conversations with uh, African church leaders about what the future holds for our denomination, um, and so you know we're there are a number of possible pathways forward, um, and it's really hard to tell at this particular moment um, what. Can have what we'll be able to achieve at the 2024 General Conference. I will say that the conservative coalition that has long controlled the majority block of delegates uh, at General Conference has been badly wounded and with churches disaffiliating uh, is quickly losing the influence that they once had. And so um, it's the question is, is that Influence, particularly in controlling votes, is that dwindling fast enough to make, uh, help us make changes at this general conference? Or really, you know, will it be this messy thing where some GM uh, Global Methodist Church affiliated delegates who are still in the United Methodist Church are still there kind of mucking things up in terms of the future of the United Methodist Church? So we, we really don't know. Um, And as someone said in an earlier meeting, it's possible, I guess, that we could, that the General Conference, uh, I don't think the protocol, which is still before the General Conference, I don't think it will pass. I don't think it has enough votes to pass. Um, And there are enough objections, uh, particularly in Africa, about it that I just don't think it has the votes to pass. But it could be that the General Conference comes up with another agreement you know about how conservatives would leave and that that would um in some ways if that was a an item that came up early on in general conference that could lead to clearing the floor of those who really are affiliated with the gmc by voluntarily clearing the floor and we could move more quickly into who we want to be as the United Methodist Church. So there are all these possibilities and we just, we're just at this point where it's a little muddy and messy to tell what's going on right now.
0: Randall, thank you so yeah. much for yeah. this. Um, thank you for your continued work. Um, and I, I'm, I, man, I just, I, My prayer is that you would see the fruit of your labors um, as relates to the United Methodist Church and the inclusion of LGBTQ individuals. I I pray that you would continue to see the fruit of all that you've invested.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, And uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. And I just want to say it's been I, I have invested a lot. And it's been collective investment that I would not have been able to stay around if there were not sort of this loving group of friends who we have sometimes chafed at each other, but have have stayed together and plotted and conspired and consoled each other over the years. So, Uh, And I I do hope to see the change in rules and policies. Um, And uh, But I also am deeply moved. And uh, this... uh, influx of new leaders you know there now there are a number of black younger and queer folk younger than i queer folk taking the reins and we
0: out here we out here
1: (laughs) i'm like that is the answer to prayer because then you can really leave knowing that you are passing the torch on to some really excellent people who will do it differently, have different perspectives. Uh, And that to me is a great, great, great joy.
0: We hope you enjoyed the episode. Bar of the Conference is produced by the team at Wesley's Revival, a ministry of Studio Wesley. Subscribe to this show on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or Google platforms so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.